Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about mortgage rates and the fallout of rates over 6% on wholesale and correspondent lenders. We're also going to discuss how lower volume is affecting appraisers, and we're going to try to end on a high note talking about home equity loans. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Sarah. Great to have you on. We have so much to talk about as usual. I'd love to start out with the fact that, you know, we're expecting a rate hike from the Fed next week. And we always, you know, report on the um, the rates, the weekly rates, but those lag. And we know that, you know, we are way above 6% now on, on the regular. So tell us a little bit about um, what that looks like and the, the larger macro picture. Yeah, it's it's not great. So <laughs> why don't we start with, so rates, you know, where I'm looking right now, we, we talked to a few folks this morning and yesterday, uh, of course, the, the CPI inflation numbers came in a few days ago and the inflation came in a little bit hotter than was expected. And um, as a result, you know, treasuries all over the place, you know, the dollar is everywhere. The, the financial markets are kind of in a bit of a tailspin right now and uh, it's not great for mortgage rates. So, I'm hearing quotes around 6.2, 6.3, The secondary market is going to be extremely volatile uh, up until the Fed starts to make its uh, its pronouncements. I, I think it's next week on the 21st, I want to say. And, um, you know, I, I think it's basically a guarantee that it's going to be at least a 75 basis point hike. And, you know, before this, when, when we had been looking at inflation and thinking, you know, maybe things are trending down a little bit, maybe... Maybe we could even be looking at only a fifty basis point uh, hike in in September, and and I think you know given that inflation came in much hotter than people expected, you know it was about eight point three percent year over year. Th- those dreams have been dashed. There's basically no chance, and there are some analysts out there, some economists who think the Fed might take extremely drastic action and do a hundred twenty five basis point hike in September. You know, I mean, that that would be obviously unprecedented. That would really, really shake things up. Um, but I, I think for the mortgage audience, for our housing finance friends, um, you know, choppy waters remain ahead. It's not going to get much easier. Um, this is proof that inflation has not dissipated as quickly as the Fed would have liked. And, you know, a lot of it, like, keep in mind the CPI, 30% of it is weighted toward, um, you know, rental costs. And rental costs are also a very much lagging indicator. And um, I think that this is going to be how things look for a few months. And it just depends. Can can the Fed break the back of inflation with extreme rate hikes, which will probably trigger a recession, which causes all kinds of other troubles for the housing industry, job losses, uh, you know, obviously things that they're experiencing themselves right within the industry, but you know, for the economy as a whole. So it's uh, it's bad news bears. And everybody is waiting to see what the Fed does, how aggressive they'll be. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's written in the stars. It's going to be at least 75 basis points uh, next week. And then looking ahead to October, very unlikely that it would be less than 50, very unlikely even less than 75 again, right? So um, 
you know, every month I feel like we, we go through this crazy fire drill. We're like, oh my God, the raids. Oh my God, what's going on? What's going to happen? And um, it's always kind of the same story, which is things are still bad. Maybe there's a glimmer of hope, but yeah, still very bad. And uh, let's wait till next month and maybe we'll figure something out. It, it does feel like Groundhog Day with rates over. And I mean, if you had told us at the beginning of the year that, I mean, they were, you know, the Fed was clear about what they wanted to do, but 75 basis points sure. month after month is just, I mean, I don't know that any of us would have been like, oh yeah, that's what, that's what we should expect this year. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's hard to see where this ends. You know, I, I, I think this is the main tool they have in their tool belt and they're going to continue to use it. Um, we don't see... Okay, let's let's say we know that in a perfect world, the the methodology that they use for weighing, uh, you know, the thirty percent measure on the CPI. Let's say that it's a really good encapsulation of how the rental market is working, and you know that rents continue to accelerate, and it's really you know that is in most people's cases the biggest expenditure that they have, right? Living expenses, like having a roof above your head. Uh, let's say that it's a good measure. Um, we're not exactly seeing a lot of action or I don't think there is a lot of action that can be um, put in a place right now that would cool those specific costs. Maybe, do you give subsidies to landlords? That's a pretty unpopular uh, you know, way to go about things. Do you give them to the renters? Sure, maybe, but I don't think Republicans are going to go along with that. You, know, you have uh, a, a really no-win situation there. Um, and the fact of the matter is like, we're not building enough housing. We will even, even with like a record number of multifamily properties permitted, not necessarily in development, but permitted, uh, we're not going to build enough. We're not going to build close to enough. And you're going to be watching Groundhog Day quite a bit, I think, over the next year or two. So the, the question regarding rates is, you know, how high can they go at this point? Um, I've seen people in the mortgage world saying, Oh man, it's totally within the sphere of possibilities that we're going to have rates in the sevens. And if you remember, Sarah, we started talking about this back in like, I want to say it was February, March, when we knew that the Fed was going to take really aggressive action and rates had already been climbing for months, right? I, I think, you know, the high point was June, I guess, right? When we, we saw them hit around like 6263 and the core problem hasn't changed, right? So- the Fed's going to, you know, the, it's sort of like that old joke, like, what is it, you know, to a hammer, everything's a nail, right? Like to the Fed, everything's like a rate hike, right? So. It's a great point. And and to your point, they just don't have that many things they can pull the trigger on anymore. Yeah. If you look back at, um, you know, our rate story today, so we're, um, we are recording this on Thursday. So our rate story today said a year ago, rates averaged 2.86%. And so this is really where the pain comes from is just the the whiplash there. Um, you know, and of course, it happened really in the in the spring in May, where we saw, you know, yeah, rates were ticking up, rates were ticking up, and then like, woo, that that rapid rise just, you know, just threw people. And then we've had another one, you know, June, July. I mean, we've seen it, especially the end of July, um, and then now again. So crazy. So that has led to my second um, thing I wanted to talk about, which was, you know, last week we talked about some of the wholesale lenders that were. Um, either shutting down or laying off, um, really, you know, looking to, um, uh, they were, you know, crumbling in the face of uh, not only the economic pressures, but the the pricing war going on. So what what sort of updates do we have either on uh, wholesale and uh, correspondent? I know we've had a couple of stories on correspondent this week. 
Yeah, we're, we're seeing more shutdowns in both. Uh, we're seeing a lot of lenders that are multi-channel operators that have, you know, probably their most robust line of business in retail, which, of course, to, to those who are in the mortgage world, no surprise there, right? Retail is about two-thirds of the market, you know, and correspondent and wholesale are minority players here. And and a lot of them are saying, look, <laughs> we, we maybe have like 15 people or 30 people or 50 people, whatever it might be, dedicated to this channel. And we cannot get our costs low enough. There is no way for us to make money on these loans. And it's not like we're doing great on retail either. So we are going to cut our losses and we are going to be, you know, basically lean and mean, as, as lean and mean as we can possibly be. And that means we're not going to be dealing with correspondent where the margins are tiny, right? We're not going to deal with wholesale where we have all kinds of pricing complications where, you know, we're just getting battered left and right. And let's hope that our, uh, you know, our, our branch managers are ready to get some business going in, in retail. And um, so even even just today, we saw that there is, uh, you know, definitely not not a big company, but Rushmore Loan Management. They're exiting the correspondent channel. Um, you know, we're we're seeing other players. Celebrity we reported not too long ago exiting wholesale. Um, these are generally much smaller lenders. You know, like we're not seeing um, Penny Mac leave correspondent. Right, like that. That would be. That would be a story. My God, that would be quite a story. We're not seeing UWM leave wholesale, right? That would be an incredible story, the story of my career. Uh, but, but we are definitely seeing smaller players get squeezed out. And, um, you know, it, it's just, you know, the broker channel, people talk about all the strength of the broker channel. And, and I think there is certainly a lot more interest in the broker channel because everybody's had their pipelines cleared, right? And you can make more money as a broker in many cases. And so it is going to attract more people to it. But as a channel in terms of performance, it's been down. It was down last quarter. You know, it's now at about 15% of the market, you know, proper brokered loans. And, uh, you know, correspondent, you can make money on it, um, but it's a tough business. And it's just, if you don't have scale, you can't really make it work. And that's what it comes down to. If you don't have scale in these channels, you're just going to get bludgeoned. And um, and so we're going to see the big get even bigger. You know, I, I think UWM and Rocket are going to remain number one and two in, in wholesale for sure. And HomePoint has been the number three for quite some time. You know, and, and they've they've been a really big lender and they've been a big presence as well. And um, they're shedding a massive amount of their staff. They they are probably down to about a thousand people, right? And I want to say when we talked about a little over a year ago, they had 4,000 staffers, you know, and it's it's across the board. I mean, pretty much everyone is affected by this. And I know that HomePoint doesn't want to do this. Um, you know, their executives are not happy about um, the way things have gone, but they will live to fight another day. If you're in, you know, if you're one of those much smaller lenders who had, you know, a 10 person division dedicated to wholesale, like you just shut it down. And maybe, you know, you resurrect it in a few years when things are normal again and you, you can make money on it and you can recruit and, you know, you can, you can properly do it, but I, they're not coming back for a while Un until the economy or the mortgage economy is, is much, much better. Um, 
this this is just you're going to see one after the next where we're going to be reporting on probably 100 200 300 lenders in the next few months just shutting shutting off you know these channels Man, that's so that's so rough. Such a bloodbath. What you talk to people at lenders, and you talk to LOs. You know, you talk to branch managers a lot. What is it? What do they do to keep morale up? How are they? How are they faring during this time when you know it's just a rough time to be in the business? Yeah, I mean, look. Even if you're a, a good LO, even if you're someone who's been a star producer, maybe you have your own dedicated team. You know, you've got a pretty good relationship with your lender. Uh, you're not in a great place. Um, you're almost certainly, I don't know anyone who's doing more business than they did last year. Like there, there may be, uh, you know, a few people and, and hey, hard to imagine, there, yeah, hard to imagine, but, but look, if you're out there and you know, you were doing X amount of units last year and now you're doing Y amount of units and you're doing much better. Like, please like, let me know. I want to know how you're doing it. I don't understand how it's possible because it's just at, at the fundamental level, there's so few incentives for someone right now to sell unless they're really hard up or maybe a spouse dies, you get a new job or whatever. I mean, there are always uh, people who sell in any marketplace, uh, but there's zero refis, right? Like nobody refis at this point. And inventory is not, there's no new inventory really that's coming at the rate that you would like it to be. There is inventory at a higher level than last year because stuff's not selling. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a totally different problem and and so from an L perspective, yeah, you got to hustle, you got to scrap, you need to close those loans. You cannot this cannot be a year like last year where like, ah, you know what? Like, you know, maybe you're a little casual about some of it. Maybe you didn't want to scrap and hustle for everything. Maybe you didn't want to work a weekend, you know, maybe you wanted to attend your kids T-ball night like I get that. Everybody gets that. Um, but if you want to make money, you have to you have to deal with that business today. And and so it's tough. You know, I, I think there are a lot of people though in the industry who are just grateful for a job. If you go on LinkedIn and you look at, you know, the, the general commentary from LOs and um, other folks in the mortgage industry, especially in operations, it's really sad. I, I wish there were a better word for it, but there are so many people out of business, so many people who who cannot provide their families uh, you know, what, what they're accustomed to receiving and um, it's not going to get better for a while. So it's it's tough, but there are always entrepreneurial people, even in a down market. And and these are mostly salespeople, right? Like, I, I feel like salespeople are like preternaturally optimistic. Um, resilient. Resilient. Yeah. Th- these are good skills in a tough market for sure, you know, and, um, but, but no question, it's, it's a really tough time for them as well. I know if that you didn't squirrel away money, if you didn't squirrel away money when you were killing it in 2020 and 2021, I think you're probably a lot more stressed out than than those who didn't. Or if you got over your skis, I follow a lot of people on uh, sure. Twitter in this space, and they were like, "Listen, if you're an LO and and you know you or if you're new in this business, do not go buy this super expensive car. Do not get overextended. Like this is this is great." This is when you need to be thinking about the future and um, you know what the what the next couple of years looks like after the refi boom. And I think that's such great advice. Always, right? It's hard. It's hard if you're making if you're killing it over the last two years, right? Yeah. What I'm also seeing is uh, a lot more people retiring than I did last year or the year before. I don't think that's any surprise. <laughs> you know, would would I want to be scrapping and you know consoling my coworkers who are getting laid off or you know 
hustling for every dollar. Not if I made a killing and I'm in my sixties or maybe older and you know, my kids are out of college or whatever, I'd probably say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to hang them the cleats. We're seeing that, especially, you know, in the appraisal space, which tends to be an older workforce anyway. Um, I was just at the um, at an appraisal conference in um, Vegas called Valuation Expo. It was a great conference. Got to talk to a lot of people. Got to sit in on a lot of sessions, including one that was like um, the biggest challenges for appraisal appraisers right now. And clearly, after the last couple of years, when listen, as an appraiser, you could you could be picky about which jobs you took and how much you charged. Um, you know, we're not in that environment anymore. We're back down to like, um, you know, there's plenty of appraisers now for the for the volume that we have. So we don't have an, a shortage. And so, you know, definitely that population skews older and they might just be like, yeah, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And, and that's what we're seeing as far as like, um, we know that there's uh, for different kinds of mortgage businesses, whether that's title, appraisal, uh, lenders, there are definitely those baby boomers looking to sell. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? It's yeah. It's a simple question, right? But if you're an appraiser right now, let's say you have your own like classic kind of three man shop as an appraisal business, you're probably struggling to pay your your two employees, and you are definitely not making much money. You get squeezed by the AMCs. You cannot negotiate your your prices very well on on uh, you know. There's just not a lot of business to go around. So if someone says, hey, I need an appraisal on this, you know, Fannie Freddie loan and we'll pay you four hundred bucks for it, you're you're gonna say, Okay, <laughs> sure, I'll take it. You yeah. Know, and that's that's it. If there's Well, and I actually heard, you know, I was sitting at lunch with some appraisers uh, from the Bay Area, um, different parts of the Bay Area, and one of them was talking about uh, somebody he knew was undercutting at like 150. And the other people were like, are you kidding me? Why would anyone do that? Like, all you're doing is just like hurting the entire, you know, business or whatever. But like, if you have people, you know, it's just, it's such a wild, wild west in appraisers where you're negotiating every single thing. Um, you know, one of the people sitting there said, you know, she has her lenders who, who generally call her other people have their, you know, um, their panel of appraisers, whatever. But if you're just out there, um, and you're just one of, you know, many that they call it's a, it's a difficult business. So I can understand, um, in a lot of in a lot of cases, we're going to see um, some turnover in just the in the old guard kind of leaving the mortgage industry and and seeing who who comes next. It'll be exciting in that way, you know. And you know, maybe they can go out on a high note. I'd wish it for them, right? We'd all wish it for like you get to that retirement age and you get to have a have a soft landing. But uh, yeah, if if you're if you're an appraiser and like let's say you're still in one of those hot markets, let's say you're in Tampa, and you want to hustle, right? Like Tampa is still, you know, what, 25% crazy, year over year. Yes. Uh, it's, it's still still a crazy market. Um, Florida in general is like a totally kooky market. And, <laughs> kooky um, is the perfect I, word I for Florida. Yes, Florida it. man, kooky. For Florida in general, right? Yeah, and, and no Florida jokes here. No Florida man jokes here. No Florida mortgage man or anything like that. Um, but but if you can do, let's say, one a day, and even if you do charge, say, 200 right, 250 whatever, you can still do okay um, because there still aren't a ton of appraisers out there that are, it's, it's not like suddenly there are, we're flooded with appraisers either, right? It's, it, the competition is going to be coming from the computer, right? It's like, like a, the, the worst, most boring version of the movie Terminator, like the new Terminator franchise, like, yeah, 
it's the appraisal, uh, you know, the the AVM, right? So um, that's that's what's going to going to replace a lot of technology is going to replace a lot of these appraisers that you know are businessmen and businesswomen, and um, it's it's going to be these new tech tools where you know you, you have a full complete digital footprint of the house. You have you know maybe tours, video, you have uh, comps that you can throw up on a phone. Somebody working remotely can do it, uh, you know, from Kansas can, can do it from wherever. And, and that is what's going to replace, in my opinion, I, and I'm not an appraiser. Uh, that's, what's going to replace a, a lot of these folks who are going to retire. And, and, um, you know, for some, that's, that's a good thing and for others, you know, that's, that's terrible. And, and there are probably just going to be a few specialists here and there, you know, in that um, in that panel where um, we had a couple hundred, uh, maybe two fifty appraisers in the room. Yeah, I would say appraisers, most of them, because they they were there for CE credits. And then you had a panel of people that included um, uh, a regulator and AMCs and an appraiser and all that. And you know, talking about the challenges, you had uh, a Q and A session where the appraisers came up and they were talking about like, listen, you know, they were they were airing all of these things and like, you want us to do more with less. You know, now we're going to be getting paid less, but now we have to, you know, um, there's a lot of these, qual- uh, you know, qualification things that we have to do, all, all this stuff. And one of the panelists was just straight up and just said, listen, if you don't like, um, if you don't like technology in this, you're, you're going to like uh, being out of a job even less. I mean, it was super just straight on, like, we as an appraiser industry have to figure out how to do this more efficiently or they're going to decide for us, right? I mean, or, or Fannie and Freddie or um, other entities are going to be like, we can we can do this. And we see that uh, push. We see that, you know, they're accepting desktop appraisals now um, on, on a permanent basis. That does not mean that appraisers or lenders want to do that necessarily or that it's going to become widespread. But at some point, right, the momentum uh, gets there. So there's all sorts of things going on in the appraisal space, Um and and I just think that this is going to be over the next couple of years. It's one of the reasons we started covering covering appraisals more often a couple of years ago. Is we're like you know we realize that title appraisal these are these are industries that are undergoing some change, and um, n- n- not stopping anytime soon. Yeah, and and these are heavily criticized industries for very different reasons, of course. Uh, and and it'll be really interesting to see you know which of these more traditional models can evolve and adapt if, if any, you know, I mean, like I said, it is entirely possible that in 10 years from now, when we talk about this, Sarah, we're, we're talking about the guy in his, you know, in his home office in, in Kansas, who is, who is doing appraisals, you know, for, for half the Eastern seaboard and, and, you know, so much of it is automated and built through an algorithm, um, or maybe, you know, there are these specialists that, that are going to be able to adapt and say, look, I can handle, you know, investment property, um, you know, or, or more complicated, you know, floor plans or like unique homes and, you know, like, uh, like earth homes, right? Like, you know, that there are all kinds of different types of homes that, that, um, don't appraise well because they're unusual in this market. Right. And, um, and so I, I think there will still probably be a future for some of them, but, but they don't control their destiny. You know, their destiny is probably going to be controlled by Fannie and Freddie. Right. And, and any pressure that the federal government, the regulators of Fannie and Freddie feel, uh, because certainly that there has been a lot of, um, scrutiny about, uh, you know, some, some of the supposed practices and, and biases that come with appraisal. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of push for third party 
data collection. And what I heard at the conference was, you know, appraisers were like, I'm signing my name to this. Um, and, and maybe I didn't collect the data. So that, that's a, mm. that's a problem for them when they're like, I have no idea who this person is who collected the data. Are they, yeah, I mean, sure. we know that that might be a real estate agent. Great. It might be, we, we had a, a story a couple months ago where, um, there's a push among Uber drivers. I mean, they're out and about driving already. Hey, they can be the person who does the property inspection. Collect I, remember some this. Of this I think it's data. hilarious. Yeah. And, and I mean, appraisers understandably are like, I have a certification, I'm signing my name, I'm responsible for this, um, for this information, but I don't know where it came from. Yeah, I don't have any control over that in some cases. So I can understand there's a, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot. I mean, that's sort of a fascinating idea, though, that, that you could integrate appraisal into like the larger gig economy, you know, where, where the guy who drops off your bag at McDonald's for like $50 on DoorDash, which is like insane. To me, anyway, um, will also just happen to be there and do the appraisal, right? Like, the, there is maybe a, a bizarre universe in which you could see someone kind of collating various kind of tasks together. If somebody had, you know, a lot of different specialties, like maybe like a somebody's a notary who can also do appraisal and uh, you know also drop off, you know, it, it boggles the mind, something. really. And I th- I think that yeah. I, I can see the I can see the uh, potential problems. I think the other thing that appraisers brought up was that you know the whole idea of having um, sort of this um, assistant. I, I, I'm trying to think what they call it. It's not it, the person they're mentoring to become an appraiser. Like as their fees go down, how do they how do they afford to pay this other person um, as their tra- a trainee? That's what they call them, a trainee. Um, you know, especially in this current environment. And also you have less uh, volume. So they have less incentive to be like, yeah, I really need a, a, a trainee who's going to take the small, you know, the amount of business that I would like to have for me. So it's really turned quickly with the volume dropping. Yeah. And the, the apprentice system that they have is, is one of the wildest, most counterproductive, like institutionalized, um, <laughs> strange, strange, strange systems that I've ever seen in, in sort of like a small professional, you know, certification class. Like I, it boggles the mind that you would be training at cost your competitor and, and the amount of paperwork, uh, and, and the hours that have to go into it are, are insane. Like you might as well just become an electrician at that point. And you also make a lot more money if you're going to do that. But yeah, it's, it's, bonkers totally bonkers it needs it needs a reform and i think pretty much everyone acknowledges that like it does not work the apprentice system at all and they definitely are, are making some changes to that they brought up some things there we'll have some coverage on that but um yeah wild you know while we were talking about i wanted to uh, circle back a little bit to the mortgage um rate story because i know that when when we first got above 6% um back in was it May? We had a story about how lenders are adjusting to life over 6%. And I know we're, we're sort of doing a redux of that, specifically looking at loan officers and how they're going to be, um, you know, how they're handling life at 6% or, or more than 6% uh, significantly. So um, just wanted to ask you when we might uh, see that story come over. That'll probably take a, a week or two. We are talking to a bunch of different loan officers in different markets, you know, some that are uh, brokers, some that are branch managers, some that are kind of eat what you kill LOs and, and, and trying to get a sense of, so how are you convincing people to take the plunge right now? You know, is it just, Hey, like you've been waiting for rates to drop. They're not going to drop. This is right. what 
we're going to be looking like. And and it, it just means that you're, you're going to have less choice. You're going to have fewer options the longer you wait um, because the kind of the, the larger problems in the economy are not uh, changing as quickly. And um, so how do you convince somebody to, to say, yep, you know what, I'm going to buy even though it means my monthly payment is going to be much higher than it would have been, uh, even though it means, you know, the DTI question gets a lot uh, more challenging, that the stock in my particular market is not great. And I probably won't or may not find the ideal house because there are so many people who have rates at two and a half, three percent that are just they're just not going to sell. They'd rather become landlords at this point. You know, that, it's the mortgage that rate use. lockdown thesis that we're talking exactly. about, right? Yep. Yep. Right. So um, it's it's going to be kind of a question of if you can adapt, can your customers? Right. And if you're a top LO, like you're not going to go hungry. You know, you, you have a book of business, you have reliable real estate partners or, you know, financial advisors or accountants, or you have a referral network, you have maybe even repeat business. You know, there are always people out there who are, who are going to be looking, you know, a house is not just a place where you, you know, rest your head. You know, it's, it's also for a lot of people an investment and, and there are kind of larger existential questions as to whether that's a good thing, you know, and maybe, maybe a, a domicile shouldn't be an investment. Right. And, and, and um, you know, there are different housing markets in the world that do not see it the way we see it. Um, but this is a, a quasi capitalistic market and, uh, and it's, it's a really tricky, tricky period for LOs um, because nobody is doing, again, as far as I know, almost nobody is doing better than they were a year ago. And, uh, you know, business is down, what, 10% even from the prior quarter and purchases aren't getting better. And, uh, you know, I think when the data comes out on, on this quarter, it's going to be even uglier in, uh, you know, next month when, when we get a little bit more statistics. I, I hate that. Let's let's end on a on a little bit of a silver lining note and talk about HELOCs. So that is, you know, because because we do have uh, people who do have quite a bit of nested equity now. Let's talk about what we're seeing when it comes to, you know, we we had a, a story this week by Bill Conroy about HELOC volume is up nearly fifty percent over first five months of twenty twenty two. So is that a is that a bright spot or what? Yeah, it, it is. So, so HELOCs, um, but, but also home equity loans in general, right? So HELOC is, is a line of credit and, and they're structured a little bit differently than, um, you know, a home equity loan. But yeah, that, that is a real bright spot in the market. I'd say kind of the two bright spots are probably like non-agency jumbo and also HELOCs. And, you know, the, the reason is really simple. There is both a ton of home equity out there. And it is growing in in a lot of markets, and um, you know there's not a lot of people out there who want to sacrifice their mortgage at two and a half, three percent, whatever. And so now is the time to maybe make improvements to their home, or you know use it to pay down you know other debts or whatever. Um, but but you know they're, they're using the home as an asset, and unless we see home equity take as big a dip as, you know, it would have to take a really big dip for, for things to get pretty concerning. Um, but, but that's going to be a lifeline. That's going to be an option for a lot of people, you know, and, and it's a really good time for, uh, some smaller players that are really specialized 
in, in sort of like, you know, second lien mortgages. And also, you know, and, and that has traditionally been an area where the, the depository banks have really cleaned up. And now we're seeing a lot of the non-bank, you know, big IMB mortgage lenders uh, jump into that space. And I think it's going to be a pretty reliable product for them. They also, for what it's worth, they know how much home equity people have. You know, they, they have hundreds of thousands of names on their, you know, email lists. They have a tremendous amount of data. They can market to a lot of people if they're interested in taking out a home equity loan or a HELOC, whatever. So um, I, I think this could be, a, a you know, it's, it's never going to be... Um, probably a game changer for a lot of big lenders, you know, HELOC volume, even in, in kind of perfect conditions like this, in some ways, it'll never be more than, you know, a, a, probably a few percentage points of their overall business. But you, maybe that's the difference between, you know, your company being in the red and in the black. So it's a viable business line. I, I think this is a natural evolution for a lot of the lenders. And now they're, they're big enough that they have the experience, the expertise needed to run programs like this because they are a little more difficult to, uh, to manage you know, process-wise. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where things end up uh, because if the economy does start to go down, then you know we're also going to see home equity, um, you know, tappable equity probably go down as well. And um, you know what what sort of uh, programs lenders come up with next is going to be really interesting because everyone is is trying to find an edge now uh, because you know traditional kind of agency driven uh, you know conventional mortgage lending is down, and um, you know it's it's not like the executives uh, are. are going to be content with just saying, oh, well, the market's down. We're, we're just going to wait it out and uh, yeah, see how things go. You know, they, they always want to be pushing forward and, and coming up with different products that, that will appeal to, uh, you know, a larger mix of, uh, of customers than they currently have. I think it's interesting, you know, affordable housing is definitely um, has been a focus of the Biden administration and we see some different products uh, coming online, special Special purchase credit programs. Do I have that right? Special purchase, I think. Um, and you think, well, you know, now might be a, the perfect time for some of those to roll out because, you know, lenders are, are incentivized to look a little bit beyond um, who they would typically maybe want to do to to innovate and look outside a little bit. So I think we could, I know we're out of time on this one, but let's talk about that next time uh, that we that we get on and, and we'll add in manufactured homes because uh, both of those things are... Um, you know, this might be a time when we're going to see those come into their own a little bit more, right? They're a little bit more than they would have otherwise. Definitely more than anyone was paying attention to last year when they, you know, when the low hanging fruit of refis was just taking up all their time. Right, when there were like nine of them, right? You know, nine originated in the entire country last year. Yeah, yeah. Shadow on the house uh, or, or shadow on the ground, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, no. Th- those are good subjects, and I, I look forward to that next week. James, thanks as always for for coming on. I feel like we could talk for a couple more hours. So appreciate your time. Thanks, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, 
answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.